Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part five of his teaching, Signs. Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in our series on signs. This will be part five. As we said before in other sessions, there are all kinds of signs all around us. There are signs in the heavens. There are signs of the times. There are natural signs. And of course, there are supernatural signs. And we've been concentrating on the supernatural signs performed by Jesus in his earthly ministry. In particular, the seven supernatural signs that the Apostle John highlights in his gospel. Remember, as you've heard me say before, the purpose of supernatural signs is to point to Jesus as the wonder worker, the miracle worker. Not only was he sent to us by God, but the words he speaks are the true word of God. And that's what miraculous signs are about, to let you know that the one that is doing the miracle, doing the wonder, doing the sign, was sent to you by God. And you can trust the word that he speaks as the true word of God. So there can be no doubt if you look at the signs performed by Jesus that he was the Christ. He was the anointed one. Amen? He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He was and is the King of kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. And even though the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record numerous signs, wonders, and miracles performed by Jesus, John only recorded seven. And I think the Holy Spirit led him to choose these seven signs because they were definitive and they stood out above all the rest. If you couldn't see that Jesus was the Christ with these seven signs, you probably weren't going to accept Jesus as Lord even after he was raised from the dead. That's how powerful these signs were. You know, theologians and Bible teachers call them or refer to them as the seven signs of the book of John. (laughs) Sounds like a John Wayne movie or something, doesn't it? Sons of Katie Elder, the seven signs of the book of John. And you find these signs between chapter 2 and chapter 11 in the book of John. So here's what John says about the limited number of signs that are included in his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. It's like John said, I pick seven that I think will convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if you believe in Him, you'll have life. Now, here's another scripture that essentially conveys the same message. John chapter 21, verse 25. This is the last verse in the book of John. And John says here in verse 25, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books 
that would be written. Amen. So he did a lot of signs, a lot of wonders, a lot of miracles. And John picked only seven by the direction of the Holy Spirit. So here they are, the seven signs of the book of John in the order in which they appear. And we've been using this as an outline. Number one, changing water into wine. You find that in John chapter 2. Number two, healing the nobleman's son. You find that in John chapter 4. Healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 5. That's number three. Number four, feeding the 5,000. John chapter 6. Number five, walking on water. Also found in John chapter 6. Number six, healing a man born blind, John chapter 9. And finally, number seven, raising Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. So last week, we covered number six, healing a man born blind. And we found out that Jesus performed what they considered to be the sign of all signs at that time in the history of mankind. No one, not even the prophets before him, had ever healed a man that had been born blind. It was absolutely unprecedented. I mean, Jesus raised two people from the dead and healed numerous blind people up to that point. You would think that these things would have gotten the attention of the Pharisees and the religious crowd, and they did to a degree. But this one miracle really raised a ruckus and stirred them up mightily. If you missed that session, I encourage you to go back to the podcast and listen to it. But this week, we're going to take the previous signs we've talked about up to this point to a whole new level with number seven, raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, I want to remind you that as we go through this last sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, just like before, We're going to find other signs embedded in the Scripture itself and many nuggets of truth that we can apply to our lives as we go along. They're just too juicy, too good to pass up. So we're going to cover them. Amen. John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Everything today will be New King James Version. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, we're going to read a lot of Scripture But you know, this is the church, and we can read the Bible in church, and you'll be better for it after we read these 53 verses in John chapter 11. It'll go faster than you think. I've already timed it, by the way. I know that for a fact. John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So what do we learn from these first few verses here? Well, one of the things we learn is that Lazarus was more than just an acquaintance of Jesus. He was a close friend of Jesus. He had a close relationship with Lazarus. And he had a close relationship with his sisters, Martha and Mary. So naturally, when their brother fell sick, the first person they sent for was Jesus. Verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Amen. Okay. 
Just like the man who was born blind last week that we talked about, this does not mean that God allowed this sickness to come on Lazarus so he would die and later on Jesus would come and raise him from the dead and God would be glorified. That's wacky thinking. That's wacky doctrine. No, I believe Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead and he was making a statement of faith. It went something like this. Satan intended for this sickness to end in death, but I am here to make sure that it ends in life. And God will be glorified when that happens. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I'll read that again. It just gives me chills. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You know why I think this verse is so cool? This was after Jesus had exhorted and mildly scolded Martha because she got so bound up with chores that she didn't choose what Mary chose, which was to sit at the feet of Jesus when he was teaching. Remember, Mary chose correctly, but Martha did not. Yet in this verse, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Jesus loves us even when we don't have everything figured out in our life. We don't have all areas of our life straightened out. He knows we're a work in progress and He loves us anyway. And He made a point by saying, now Jesus loved Martha, the same one He scolded that you read about before. Isn't that wonderful? Number six, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Let me read verse six, and then we'll comment on it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, if you read it like that, it sounds like Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha so much that he stayed two more days where he was when Lazarus was sick and dying. It's kind of an odd statement, isn't it? Well, it proves to me that Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead, and there was no need to hurry. In fact, the longer they waited, the greater glory God would get when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus already knew exactly what he was going to do. They just didn't understand. Why is he waiting? Why is he delaying? Amen. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? In other words, they're thinking completely in the natural. Remember what happened last time when you were passing out of the temple? They tried to stone you, and then you came across the man that was born blind, and you got him healed anyway, in spite of the fact that you had to flee these idiots that were trying to stone you? Don't you remember that? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, this was Jesus' way of saying, I think, I got to follow the light. I got to do what my Father's calling me to do. 
I have to head to Jerusalem regardless of what may befall me there. Verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. One thing I get out of this, he's not only Jesus' friend, but Lazarus is the disciples' friends too. They're all one big happy family. And he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, can't you just sense the chagrin in his voice? He didn't want to use those words because Jesus is accustomed to speaking faith. Remember what he said about Jairus' daughter before he raised her from the dead? He said, the damsel is not dead. She's just sleeping. He didn't want to speak death over Lazarus, so he did it reluctantly. This all has to do with how differently Jesus and the Father view death. We humans view death as terminal, as final, as permanent. But God knows and Jesus knows that physical death is only temporary, like sleeping for those who believe. There is a coming resurrection, and we believers, we will be changed, and we shall live on in glorified supernatural bodies. Amen. And I can't wait to see mine, to pick mine up in the showroom of heaven. Amen. Verse 15. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. How many know Thomas was confused and thought that Jesus was leading them back on some martyr's crusade to Jerusalem so that they could all die gloriously together? Well, he might have been confused, and a lot of people slammed doubting Thomas because he didn't believe until he put the finger in the hole in Jesus' hand and the hand in the gash in his side. He didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But this, listen, evidently from this statement right here, he might have been confused, but he was ready to give his life for the cause of Christ. Amen. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. You know, I've heard and I've read many reliable sources that say there was a belief back in those days that spirits would hang around the tomb for up to three days looking for opportunity to reenter that body. So the Jews would have no explanation for how Lazarus came to life again if he was raised from the dead after four days. Add to that the fact that he was already actively decomposing. And this is shaping up like one of the most miraculous signs that you'll ever know about, and that surely would eclipse all the other signs that John has talked about in his gospel. 
verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, listen to this. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Martha may have had her faults, but she believed that Jesus could have healed her brother before he died. She even had faith that Jesus could raise him from the dead. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So, What's Martha asking? She's asking for clarification. Which resurrection are you talking about? Are you talking about an end times resurrection? Are you talking about a resurrection that's going to happen right now? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I think she realized at that point what Jesus was saying. I have the power to raise him up now, and I have the power to raise him up at the last day. What difference does it make? I've got the power, and I'm going to start by raising him now. Verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing Martha said. Verse 33, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I said he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, the word translated here as groaned, believe it or not, means to snort with anger or to sigh with chagrin. And chagrin means dissatisfaction. I don't like the way this looks. I don't like the status quo. So when Jesus saw all this grieving and weeping all around him, he was moved Evidently, deeply in his spirit, but not necessarily with sorrow. He was moved with dissatisfaction at the status quo, and he snorted with anger in response. Instead of, instead of, ah, it was kind of like this. Yeah. You see the difference? The other one's, oh, woe is me. And this one's like, I am angry about this. Ah. 
Listen, he hated death, and he hated the aftermath of death. He hated what it did to the people he loved. That's why he said in another place, I have come, my mission statement on earth, I have come to destroy the works of the devil. And one of the ones he hated the most was death. Verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. You know, that's the shortest verse in the Bible, but how profound is that? I believe Jesus was so dissatisfied, he was so irritated, he was so angry at the devil that tears came to his eyes. Have you ever been so angry that tears came to your eyes? I have. Something so unjust and so unfair and so outrageous that it just makes you so mad you start crying. I've been there. Verse 36, then the Jews said, See how he loved him? They're clueless. Verse 37, and some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Now hear me out. I've been preaching this for years. This is a revelation the Lord gave me 10, 15 years ago, and I've held on to it over the years. Let's go back through this. Jesus groaned in the Spirit in verse 33. He wept bitterly in verse 35. And in verse 38, He groaned again within Himself in the Spirit. All of these things convinced me that Jesus was communicating to the Father God his deep dissatisfaction and anger at the death of his friend Lazarus. He just did it with groans and sighs and tears which could not be uttered in articulate speech. Hold on to that thought because it will be significant in just a few more verses. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. I like the way the King James says it. By this time, Lord, he stinketh. So Martha had expressed her faith in Jesus' ability to raise her brother from the dead. But the thought of his decomposing body being exposed to the atmosphere made her waver momentarily. So verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I think Jesus said this to boost her faith when it was flagging, when it was wavering. Even though Jesus, I believe, was supplying most of the faith necessary to perform this miraculous sign, it's clear to me that he was looking to Martha to supply faith on the receiving end of this miracle. Amen? Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, 
that they may believe that you sent me. When did Jesus speak to the Father before this time? You can find no time in this passage where he addressed the Father before this prayer. Unless you consider the groans and tears and sighs that Jesus uttered in the Spirit just a few minutes before he addressed the Father in this prayer. And he said, Lord, you heard me when I groaned in the Spirit. You saw my bitter tears. You saw that I was troubled in spirit. You saw that I was dissatisfied. You saw that I was angry at what the devil did to my friend. And you heard. And you're teaming up with me now to do a miracle. Amen. Verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, this is a wonderful picture. If you let me bring out a nugget here. The raising of Lazarus is a picture of the born-again experience. Raised up from the death of sin to life in Christ, you come out of the tomb, a brand-new creature on the inside. But on the outside, there's still the trappings of death. There are still bonds that hold you. And you have to go to the Word of God and meditate on it. You have to commune with the Spirit of God so that that salvation works its way from the inside out. That's why Jesus said, now that he's alive again, loose him and let him go. So just because you've been born again doesn't mean there aren't things that are residing in you that remind you of the old way you used to live. You get born again, God puts a brand new spirit on the inside of you, but in your soul and your body, even though they're kind of neutral in the fact that they're just along for the ride, they are used to doing things the old way. And it takes a process of time to train them, like I said, by renewing your mind to the Word of God so that the soul and the body toe in line with the will of the Spirit. And this is pictured here with the grave clothes that surrounded Lazarus even after he was born again from the dead, so to speak. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Now, when you see the term Jews here, it's talking about the religious crowd, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the religious crowd of that day. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Verse 47, Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. That's the name of our series, folks. And there's our old familiar Greek word for signs, semion. It means sign, wonder, miracle, with the emphasis on the sign that points to Jesus as the wonder worker, as the miracle worker. For anyone who was paying attention, he was the one who was sent to them by God. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the Son of God. He was the promised Messiah of Israel. 
the raising of Lazarus, who had been dead longer than any other person who had ever been raised from the dead in the history of the world, made that clear. It was the sign of all signs, even more so than the healing of the man born blind. I believe it was a massive tipping point for the previously undecided Jews that were there at the tomb of Lazarus. And as a result, verse 45 says, many of the Jews believed in Jesus. They had resisted before, but this sign was just too monumental. It was just too miraculous. It was just too unprecedented for them to stand there and say, He's just another man. No, he was the son of God. He was the anointed one. He was Messiah. He was king of kings. He was Lord of lords. And they knew it when they saw Lazarus come out of that tomb. But sadly, if you continue reading the story in the rest of chapter 11 and read on into chapter 12, you find out some disturbing things about the Pharisees. And this says a lot about the hardness of their hearts. Even in the face of such a spectacular, miraculous sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees, for the most part, rejected the one that was sent to them by God. They were so threatened by Jesus that the moment they got word that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, they began to plot to kill him. And even worse... They were even plotting to kill Lazarus too because his testimony was so powerful that it was bringing more and more of the previously unbelieving Jews into faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. John 1.11 says it like this, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John 12, 37 says this, though he did so many miraculous signs before them, they did not believe in him. Amen. Kind of a sad note. So I'm going to bring you up with a happy note. Next week, we'll wrap up the series by talking about how that even after Jesus' departure from planet Earth, Signs, wonders, and miracles continued to be performed by the apostles and by regular men and women of God like you and me. And as a result, even more of the Jews came to Jesus. In Acts, it says, a great company of the priests came to Christ. And eventually, the Gentiles came too. And aren't you glad all of us Gentiles benefited from signs, wonders, and miracles done over 1,900 years ago? Amen. We're in the kingdom today because of that. And we're going to talk about that next week to cap off the series. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed part five of Dr. Forrest's message, Signs. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.